is that time again, people. We're getting into the book recap for July of 2022 because it is the last Monday of the month, which is where I always give a little recap of all the books that were going on in this month. So there was only three for this this month and you might go, Karen, why is there only three? There was four Wednesdays in the month. Well, this is the first time we've missed a book review in, oh, I'm going to say like two years almost maybe, maybe a year and a half, something like that. So like I mentioned previously, I'm spending a little bit of time doing some other things. So is one and so we are not... 100% focused on reading books. I'm definitely not putting out putting out two books or uh, two book reviews a, a week like I used to. Damn, I can't even believe I used to do that. That's crazy. Uh, so now it's it's more uh, it's still important to me. I'm still reading a couple as you'll hear in what's coming up for August of 2022, but it's just not as much of a priority. So uh, we missed our first one, and we probably will miss one or two others. I'm, I'm sure. Um, in, in the coming months. But in general, we do want to still try and make this a weekly thing. So what were the three books that we went to? Well, I'll start off with my two. First one was The Bitcoin Standard by Safety Moose. I gave this a seven and a half out of 10. It was a good book. I enjoyed it in, in, in its totality. Uh, I, the reason I read it was because I'd heard basically it's the, the gold standard, the Bitcoin standard of, uh, of, of uh, Bitcoin books. And so uh, it was... It was really nice to get that mix of someone solely focused on money and solely focused on Bitcoin and don't look at any of the other stuff um, just on that. He writes very passionately, obviously has a very strong distaste for the Keynes uh, sort of view or the monetarist sort of view. I think he did get a, a little bit swept up in the fervor of things. You can see this when some of the things that he says uh, in terms of name calling, which whilst hilarious, uh, I did enjoy. I'm not sure if I'm super serious that that is the best way of of being convincing. So calling people hucksters and scammers uh, and how it was Keynes versus the battered wives monetarists or the mathematical sophistry and and things like that. Funny, yes, but convincing, not particularly. Uh, And then there was also a couple of like random throwaway stuff like uh, he was uh, blaming the breakdown of the family unit on fiat. I haven't seen any particular data for that. I'd be very interested to to know why exactly this is. Um, and this is the thing that Bitcoin people do as well. It, it's like Bitcoin fixes this and every single problem will be like Bitcoin fixes this. I'm not sure about that, but, uh, you know, it's it was, it was cool to read anyway. A couple of the additional points that I took out from this was the idea of the survival of the fittest of money. So it really showed, okay, Glass beads, one, I didn't understand why glass beads and shells and random rocks and things like that, jewelry was used as money. Like, oh, look at these ignorant people from the 1500s. No, Karen, you're the ignorant one because you didn't understand why it was a a perfectly good money back then or the best money that they had then, Uh, which is probably the best way of thinking of things. It's a survival of the fittest and it's like an open free market. You can just go in and like the best will emerge sort of thing. Uh, And so if you have people like the Bitcoin maxis who are saying, this is the only money and this is the best one and I'm only going to use it. You know, there's a certain level of why that idea took hold and root in them and made them change their behavior so much that they would behave like this. And then also why there's maybe people who are slightly off of that scale, like me, who who will now say, oh, 
okay, I'm not going to call them cryptocurrencies. I'm going to call it a cryptocurrency. There is only one which is really behaving like a money and trying to be a money, i.e. Bitcoin. Uh, and this is is good enough for me. I can see why it fixes all of these problems in the world. Uh, I can see how it's changed my own behavior. I've found that you know not only the effects it's had on me, but also the the underpinnings behind it, as explained in this book, I've found very, very um, convincing in that sense. A couple of the uh, additional things, a society obsessed with producing the monetary medium is unhealthy and not productive. So something to watch out for if you're a Bitcoiner, perhaps, is if you just notice everyone is obsessed with the producing of the Bitcoin, the mining. We need more energy to go into the Bitcoin mining. And it gets to the you know point where it's you forget about other things it's sort of uh, the analogy i would draw to that would be someone who is you know i'm gonna sacrifice my entire life i'm gonna rise the corporate ladder to get more money and then i'll use that money to make myself more efficient so i can get even more money um you're missing the point you're missing the point and so that's one thing for me like if i if i just notice oh people are getting way too obsessed with the bitcoin mining not for the things that it changes in the world, but just for the thing itself. Uh, you know, it's sort of like chasing happiness in a way. You know, chasing happiness isn't the best way to get happiness. It's it's better to view it as a, a secondary kind of function of of doing other things. So, yeah, for me, that, that was a good point and it, it just made me go, mm, okay, uh, something I, I want to watch out for as well. He was very no-nonsense with his explanations. I quite like that. Uh, and also how he didn't make analogies like you'll see elsewhere, which is, oh, public versus private keys. It's kind of like a wallet, you know, like a real-life wallet. But those sort of things, it's so novel and new. I, th- I think it's better to to not tr- make analogies which are imperfect, but rather just say, this is this, this is this. Um, I quite enjoyed that. And then there's a couple of things related to why uh, it isn't, going to be money in the sense that we use now with a visa or debit card uh, and instead might be used as the sort of sound ultimate ultimately backed sound money which underpins the financial system but we use things which are more speedy uh, maybe less secure maybe they make some trade-offs for that ability to scale to a larger level um and are a bit more centralized, but the underpinning thing is is rock solid and backed. I thought that was a pretty good argument. Um, now, it, when we get to the Boostergram Lounge, we'll find a, uh, a section, uh, a comment, in fact, which um, disagrees with with this, and um, I'll make sure to, to read that out. But overall, pretty damn be- decent book, and I, I quite enjoyed it. Now, the next one, which is Meditations on First Philosophy by Rene Descartes. Very tiny, thin book. I gave it... A five and a half out of ten, but it's a kind of harsh rating because I actually quite enjoyed the book a lot. Uh, it was more just it on its own. I would give it that kind of lowish rating, but I would add probably I don't know two points, maybe three. Uh, uh, three is a bit much. Two, two and a half um, with the supplementary details like perhaps listening to Sam Harris's podcast because he goes over some of these ideas. Uh, especially the I think therefore I am sort of aspect or going to the Wikipedia page for it. Brilliant resource for this. I, I found that really, really helpful. So uh, the I am a thing that thinks occurs very frequently. This is foundational truth and this no matter what else can't be wrong. 
this is what I really took out from the book, that process, that method of internally diving in, discarding useful stuff, starting off with doubt and saying, my senses are trying to deceive me. This isn't helpful. This isn't, uh, I, I think that's really, really interesting. Um, and he certainly can <laughs> be very sure that his senses were deceiving him. So on page 27, I, I want to bring up this little section because I found it quite good. He was talking about why the senses deceive him. And so you're saying, look, there's the idea of the sun. So I look at the sun up in the sky, you know, there's heat coming. I can visually see it entering into my eye. I can feel it on my body, um, that sort of stuff. That's one idea of the sun and I can go, yeah, you know what? It's about the size of my thumbnail. That's, uh, that's roughly how big the sun is. Now, when you start using some maybe deeper principles and of philosophy and mathematics and things like that, and that's where you can go, oh, you know what? Maybe it's a bit bigger. So, uh, onto his, his little point here and, and talking about that. So, he says, by means of this idea, the sun appears to me to be quite small, but there's another idea, one derived, uh, sorry, I should have started a little bit earlier. So, says, for example, I find myself within with I find within myself two distinct ideas of the sun. One idea is drawn, as it were, from the senses. Now it is this idea which of all those that I take to be derived from outside me is in most need of examination. So this is him looking at the sun, feeling the warmth on his body, things like that. Uh, then he continues, by means of this idea, the sun appears to me to be quite small. But there is another idea, one derived from astronomical reasoning, that it is it is elicited from cert certain notions that are innate in me or else is fashioned by me in some other way. Through this idea, the sun is shown to be several times larger than the earth. Both ideas surely cannot resemble the same sun existing outside me and the reason convinces me uh, and reason convinces me that the idea that seems to have emanated from the sun itself from so close is the very one that least resembles the sun. So a good point. I think that's a, a fantastic point. I can't trust my senses. It's better to use something that's a bit more grounded in reality and true in, in a higher truth, if you want to put it that way, which is mathematical reasoning. Oh, I can say gravity is impacting this. The earth is this sort of distance from the sun. You know what? I think the sun is maybe a couple of times larger than the earth, <laughs> which is quite funny. So it sort of proves this point and disproves it because nowadays we go, Ah, uh, yeah, you know, you're only off by, I don't know, a factor of a couple of million or billion. I'm, I'm not even sure how large the sun is. It's so big that it's almost impossible for me to comprehend how big it is. And yet, uh, his, so that kind of proves in a way how now oh, this higher reasoning that he's talking about, well, he's still quite wrong in, in a way, and yet he's closer to the truth um, than than just relying on the senses. So, once again, you know, I look back at him in the 1640s and go, oh, you, you ignorant philosopher, you, you have no idea how big the sun is. It's, you're, you're way off. Much like someone in 2,400 years would be like, Kyron, that ignorant son of a bitch. He had no idea that he's in the matrix and the sun isn't even real. You idiot. So there's all of these sorts of ideas, which are, it, it's really fun looking back in time and seeing like, man, he was bang on with his method. But he was still so far off and, you know, there's no, you can't blame him for that particularly. They just weren't as advanced as we are. And like in a hundred years time, they're going to look back at me and think I'm an ignorant, ignorant buffoon. One of the others, um, which was, I found really fun to contrast was he, he came up with this, um, when he's talking about these, these ideas that are closer to the truth. So they're more innate 
they're, they're not derived from the senses outside they're they're true even if you didn't have these sorts of senses coming within and so uh, one of these is two plus three equals five so it doesn't matter whether you're in real life whether you're in a dream whether you're in the matrix whether you've been knocked out whether your iq is super high uh super low or super high two plus three is always going to equal five and i really thought oh man that's that's really funny because you could contrast that with the 1984 uh, george orwell uh, which has two plus two equals five in it which is kind of the the idea that if you have a suppressive enough totalitarian enough government uh forcing an individual that they can distort their reality so much to be whatever it is they want to be and in this case he comes up with uh, you know two plus two equals five i say it because the government because big brother says it and so there's all of these examples in the in the book where he's holding up four fingers and winston smith is trying his darndest to to believe it and in one moment he sees the four fingers become five fingers somehow without the use of a thumb and he and and it's like oh wow two plus two does equal five so I kind of like to contrast those two of of there's like a higher truth and then that higher truth could even be trumped by a more powerful uh, <laughs> force or something like that. I think that's a, that's a fun little idea. The last one, uh, sorry, two more. One is the light of nature. He always talks about this, brings it up constantly in the book. I have no idea what it means, the light of nature. Um, if someone knows what that is, please send me a boostergram or a message or something like that because uh, I, I just didn't understand that. And it, it appeared, I don't know, at least five times, but probably close to 10, 15, 20. And the last one on page 34, right at the bottom, which was where he was talking about the his essential argument for, for God. So to quote, uh, all that remains for me is to ask how I received this idea of God, for I did not draw it from the senses. It never came upon me unexpectedly, as is usually the case with the ideas of sensible things when these things present themselves or seem to present themselves to the external sense organs. Nor was it made by me, for I plainly can neither subtract anything from it nor add anything to it. Thus, the only option remaining is that this idea is innate me, innate in me just as the idea of myself is innate in me. So this is where he's linking a couple of concepts. One, I think therefore I am, his sort of basis, his founding point. Then he's talking about, okay, this is like a, it's innate in me that I am an I, that this is, I'm a thinking thing. That's the only, that's where he starts off with that. Even if everything else is deceiving me, even if I'm wrong about my senses, if there's a, you know, I'm living in the matrix, if I'm actually in a, you know, a tub of water being, or a gel or something like that, uh, my body actually isn't a real body. I'm actually just a brain and a vat. That I can start off with that something is happening. That's the the root um, cause. And then this other innate idea of God is where I it kind of lost me, I guess, because I, I haven't experienced that myself. And this is where it was maybe it would have been useful having some parts in the book talking about how individuals can be different as well. And um, so, for example, would if I had never been born in Australia in a Western country and instead had been born somehow on my own in the you know my parents had gone for a trip to the amazons plane had crashed they died in the crash uh i was a little young boy and i was raised by wolves out in in, in the uh <laughs> man i'm mixing analogies here uh, I'm, I'm going to siberia now 
I've, I've crashed in Siberia. The wolves have raised me. Uh, and would this idea of God appeared to me whilst I was there, not knowing English language, not knowing other humans existed, things like that. I struggle. I struggle to see that, um, that, that innateness that, and which is sort of the core of his argument for why God exists. Well, he has several other um, things as well, which he, he tries to, to really show. So uh, did it make me a, a believer in God? Not particularly. I'm not a not believer either. I'm a definitely agnostic fence sitter. I, in fact, I'm probably even worse than an agnostic because they're open to all ideas, but don't particularly believe them. I'm kind of like, I'll believe all of them. I believe God's not real and I believe he's real. Yeah, suck on that. So there we go. That was a a fun a fun read. I would actually recommend it just for the fact that, like it's so small. You you you'll be able to punch through it in an afternoon, like I did two hours maybe. On to Juan's review, which was brief answers to the big questions by Mr. Stephen Hawking. Um, this sounded intriguing in some ways because uh, in terms of a physics book, I'm not. Or, uh, I, I don't actually want to know about the physics. Uh, there was once upon a time in my life where I kind of found it interesting. Nowadays, it's like, oh, a quark, oh, string theory. Um, how how's, how's that going to help me in you know, my day-to-day? It's not. can be fun, and if you enjoyed it, hell, go into it. But this book actually wasn't that, and it was more about a really smart person talking about things that you know he knew very deeply and then answers to that yeah, uh, it's, it's it was kind of that mix, I guess, between uh, scientific in a way, and then also him adding his personal things in it. And yeah, I, I suppose you'd need to read the book to to get a feeling for where was he drawing lines between science scientific stuff and personal stuff. Uh, and like Juan mentioned, it he he didn't particularly write this himself. It was it was sort of compiled. Uh, like there was a compilation sort of idea to it as well. So um, I'm not a fan of those in particular. <laughs> the the book, the compilation books I've read have, have not been uh, really jumped out at me as, as awesome. So uh, I'm glad one read it. Uh, I think he gave it a six out of 10. Um, so, you know, if, if you like Stephen Hawking, if you want to know him a bit better, that's a good idea to do that or just check out the book review itself. I'm going to jump onto the Boostergram Lounge now. Actually, before that, I want to do a big shout out, a thanks to uh, someone who's been commenting on the on the book reviews, and she's she's gone through I, I'm going to say like 15 of them and left some really detailed comments. Uh, in particular, like I mentioned, the one on uh, the Bitcoin Standard. I highly recommend reading this uh, for a contrary point of view of Bitcoin and why. It might not be such a great money. Uh, and this was by Anastasia Safronova, also known as Nastia um, for short. And really detailed, amazing comments. Uh, she actually even has uh, an Instagram where she does book reviews in not only English, but in Russian, which was her, her mother language. And I'm just going to bring that up so I can tell you. So it's books I read daily and it's got a underscore in between all of the the words there. So uh, recommend checking that out because she seems to enjoy our stuff and um, I enjoy her stuff as well because she's read uh, quite a few uh, other books. Like she did one recently on 1984. Uh, I've, I see she's done ones of um, Man's Search for Meaning here. 
on Dubliners by James Joyce, one I also did, Oscar Wilde. There's, yeah, all sorts of uh, books that, you know, in addition to us as well. Um, so a sort of same style, but also different. So highly worth going checking out her stuff and highly worth checking out her comment on the Bitcoin standard um, to to get a contrasting point of view. So onto the actual boostergrams themselves. Got some uh, good numbers coming in through this, this but uh, it is predominantly from none other than Pitar the Slav. So uh, the first one here, 4,750 sats and all of these are through Fountain, I believe. And he says, my favorite book of all time. Mm, I don't really have a standout. It's kind of like asking which is your favorite child. Yeah, it can be a tough one. Uh, I do this enough that I, I feel like I'm, I'm comfortable saying this is my favorite book of all time, i.e. 1984. And then there's all of the others, which are, are really decent ones. And they're sort of all at the same level. So this is kind of things like The Grapes of Wrath, um, The Lost Horizon, um, Man's Search for Meaning is definitely up there for me. Uh, there's a whole bunch of them. The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. Uh, I'll, I'll probably do another top 10 update sometime in the future. Uh, but if someone asked me what's the best book of all time, you know, that's so subjective. It's, it is very hard. Uh, saying it um, and and having one standout, you know, it probably is like, what are your favorite books of all time is a better question uh, to actually ask. So th- thank you very much, Peter. Um, nice little comment there. Then he sends through a big one. Oh, 47,500 this time, which is gracias, Peter. And he says, I really appreciate you slogging through this one. So this is on uh, Reasons Persons uh, by Derek Parfitt. And making such a detailed review, I bought this book a few years ago and now I think I may just donate it to the local thrift store. As an homage to Dr. Parfit, I will pose this question. Hold on to your hold on to your uh, philosophical seats here, people. Had I not purchased this book only to not read it, would I have not gained this valuable lesson from not Kyrena into the non-fathomable philosophies professed by Dr. Parfit? Man, if Dr. Parfit was still alive, he would be creaming himself right now whipping out another 600 page book in response to the <laughs> so that's just in reference to the double triple and i think even quadruple negatives that he got into numerous times in the book i would be fascinated if anyone can read this and not feel like it's a slog even if you love philosophy even if you love nuanced theological or philosophical points or metaphysical points I, I really cannot see how reading this type of book would not still make you just go oh, at the end of it and just be like, damn, my, my brain's worn out trying to understand it. I hope other people took out more than it than I did. But yes, you're, you're welcome, <laughs> Peter. You're welcome. Uh, and I, I just hope that you trust my interpretations enough, which it sounds like you do. So um, very much appreciated. Thank you, mate. Uh, and I hope that the local uh, thrift store... <laughs> has some aspiring young philosophical person who can uh, interpret it and, and really get some enjoyment from it. We've got a, another additional person here. This is exciting. So 190 sats from Captain underscore Stacks. Must be a Bitcoin person. And he says, uh, great episode. I really enjoyed Sapiens, but I'm skeptical about Homo Deus. And then the thinking emoji. Yeah, look, man, um, I'm a weird one with this. So, Juan was the one who did both book reviews on Sapiens and Homo Deus. 
Uh, I read the first two chapters of Sapiens and threw it out because I thought it was a piece of shit. I'm willing to recant on that because too many people I respect have said it's a really good book. Um, but I don't know. It's a lot, it's a big book as well. And so it, it would it would have to be something really pressing and urging for me to to go out and read it. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, and I actually would like to know why you're skeptical about Homo Deus because it sounded like it was in line at least with the first one from, from what I could see from the outside. Um, we're going back again to Pitar, the slab. And so this was from Fountain and he says, a physics book with political comment, erg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I mentioned that in the um, brief answers to the big questions, oh, I, was, uh, I wasn't particularly drawn into that as well. Like the only thing I care less about than super deep philosophical stuff is politics. Ugh. Uh, so, so, and politics in a physics book. Yeah. Well, I, at least that answers my own question when it gets into, to uh, personal stuff and as, and non-scientific stuff, nothing elicits non-scientific arguments like Donald Trump and the American presidency. <laughs> so there we go. Thank you very much, Peter. That was 4,750. And the final one from Peter again, he says uh, 23,750. Man, Peter, you're bankrolling our expenses for the book reviews this month. Thank you very much, my friend, uh, with a little bit extra on top. Um, and he says, uh, this is with regards to the Bitcoin standard. He says, communism is a fine idea. As long as participation in it was completely voluntary. You're not entitled to other people's stuff and Bitcoin prevents Keynesian theft of other people's stuff. Yeah, that. funnily enough, I wouldn't say that was super highlighted in the book. I think it came up, but the idea that it's an opt-in system is fucking fantastic. So, you know, if you're anti-Bitcoin, that's fine. Just don't have anything to do with it. Don't buy any. Don't deal with people who have some themselves. Don't accept it. You know, there's so many, what I really like about it is not only does the the book sort of show, hey, it's got a lot of the properties of what money is. And this isn't just random properties that he came up. When I went onto Wikipedia afterwards and looked at some other things, they they pretty much agreed. Yeah, these are the important properties of money, the, the sort of store of value, the um, medium of exchange and the unit of account. Those are the sort of the big three. I think there was one more on, on Wikipedia as like a 3.5 as well. Uh, but yeah, the these it had the the properties, those aspects. And then it also has the, the more philosophical, like ethical stuff. Uh, people can't steal your money. It can't just be created out of thin air. Um, you know, it is completely voluntary. It is this sort of survival of the fittest, like I was talking about earlier. Uh, I like that. I find it fascinating and and really worthy. It's it's a fun experiment. Like, is it going to? How do I personally see it turning out in the world? I have no fucking clue. But I all I can say is like it's changed my behavior, and it makes rational sense to me as to why it's a really sound money. Is it going to be used like Visa? Probably not. Maybe on the Lightning Network, but I, I don't know. Probably, I would still say probably not. But can it become a the 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 backing, I guess, of a font of a, of the whole financial system? I think there's a pretty good argument to to why that could be the case. Will it? I don't know. I don't know. So that's um, also check out that comment by uh, Nastia on the 
on the Bitcoin Standard Book Review on YouTube and you'll get a completely different point of view of why it's it's not that great. So good to contrast these things and have that have that debate, see which side you fall on and, and then uh, roll with it. So once again, there's a value for value podcast. Thank you everyone for, for joining. In particular, Peter and Captain Stacks and uh, uh, let me get her name completely right, Anastasi- Anastasia Safranova. Thank you very much, you three. Yeah, you've, you've really been standouts for, for this month in, in terms of the feedback, in terms of uh, you know helping to support the podcast, bringing joy to me. Uh, I've enjoyed it, interacting with each and every one of you. And there's a value for value podcast. So if you've made it this far, um, basically, I, I do this all for free. And one, we, we just say, look, here it is. Take it, consume it, do whatever you want. I hope you got some value from it. I hope you found something interesting. Um, and uh, if not, that's fine. You don't have to listen to it. Um, and I'm not forcing you to pay to listen to it. But if you did get some value, I just ask you return that in whatever form you want. can be like uh, Nastia was doing and leaving some really detailed book reviews, some great counterpoints to some things I've said to her interpretation of certain books and things like that. Brilliant. I loved it. It can be like Peter and donating, you know, not donating, uh, giving back an extreme amount, you know, more than enough to cover the the actual hosting for the podcast for for this uh, for this month. Brilliant! Thank you so much, Peter. I, like, I really, really do appreciate that, mate. Uh, and you know, I send them back out. I'm not actually really hoarding them. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not taking sats from here and and paying for the the book reviews um, uh, directly. Maybe one day that would be nice. But you know, I'm just really enjoying the the giving even more value back to other people and and getting more people in on board on the value for value model. Uh, and then Captain Stacks, you know. It's just really gratifying to know, oh, someone else is out there. Oh, they actually listen to the book review. You know, these aren't just inflated numbers from, I don't know, the IAAB podcasting stat statistics or, you know, bots trolling through whatever and, and, and just consuming something like there's an actual person behind it. Uh, I really do enjoy that. So thank you everyone for, for tuning in. Oh, oh, I almost completely forgot what's coming up for August of 2022. I'm reading two books at the moment. One is um, Los Heroes y Las Tumbas or Las Tumbas y Los Heroes. I'm not sure. can't remember which way around. So it's a, uh, a book written in Spanish by um, Ernesto Sabato. Yes, uh, I'm glad I remember that. Uh, an Argentinian writer. Um, I'm enjoying it quite a lot, actually more than many of the other um, Latin boom period um, uh, South American or Latin Americans that I've read before. So that's a good one. Uh, I'm also reading The Plague by Albert Camus. So very fitting in the times of coronavirus and things like that. And yeah, it's uh, it's been a good month. Uh, I, I hope to get both of those books out before um, in, in August of 2022. So look forward to those two. I'm not sure what Juan's reading, but I'm sure he's got something tasty cooking up. And other than that, I hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the world. Cut, run, out.